Option spreads are a simple and flexible yet powerful strategy for traders. And while spread strategies come in many forms, shapes, structures, and durations, some core elements are present in spread trading generally that new traders should pay attention to. On this week's show, we'll once again slow things down a bit and focus on understanding option spreads, what they are, and how to trade them in your portfolio. You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently place smarter trades. So thank you again so much for tuning in today, and welcome back to show number 224. We hope you're going to enjoy today's show as we deep dive into option spreads and hope give you a complete guide that you can use moving forward for trading. Now, this is really the beginner's guide to option spreads, so we're going to take things slow. We're going to break things down as much as possible in today's show. So if you're brand new to trading or if you've only been trading for a little bit of time now, have a really good understanding of what option spreads are and how to use them inside of your portfolio, including all the benefits and drawbacks of trading with spreads in your account. Now, be sure to go over to our show notes page at optionalpha.com slash show 224. Again, that's just the number 224, optionalpha.com slash show 224, and that will give you all the links and resources to additional training, courses, guides, and any of our video tutorials on how to use spreads how to understand spreads visually, how to use them for auto trading inside the Option Alpha platform. All right, so let's dive into it here and let's start right at the top and answer the question, what is an option spread? Now, usually when you hear people talk about option spreads or you see it out there online or you're thinking about it right now, there's a lot of different ways that people generally talk about spreads and really what they mean when they say an option spread. So I wanna to try to give you a couple different definitions, if you want to call them definitions, or a couple different ways of thinking about it. When somebody says that they're trading an option spread, most of the time they're talking about vertical spreads. And vertical spreads are very simple beginner options trading strategy, one that we love here at Option Alpha and one that you could trade fully automated inside of our platform. Now they call them vertical spreads for a reason because inside of an option pricing chain, more traditionally when you would manually trade back in the old days, right, when you did manual trading, you would see the strike prices listed vertically on the screen, almost like a ladder of strike prices. That's how most brokerage platforms showed them and still show them even today. And so when you're trading a vertical spread, which is why most people talk about option spreads as vertical spreads, it was because you're trading two different contracts up and down the option pricing chain. But there's also something called a time spread or a calendar spread or duration spreads. You hear all these other kinds of words, which really means that now you're trading two different contracts across two different contract months or two different expirations. So across time, across duration, horizontal spreads is what they're commonly referred to also as. But regardless of all of these terms that you hear, vertical spreads, horizontal spreads, time spreads, calendar spreads, all that stuff, the end result is that an option spread is just simply a trade with multiple contracts. Now you could have simple spreads and then you could have complex spreads, right? That might have more than two or three or four or five contracts, right? But really what it boils down to is that option spreads 
are just a multi-leg strategy. You're buying one contract, selling another, selling one contract, buying another, doing a combination of buying and selling, or just all buying or all selling. But you're doing it with multiple contracts. You're not doing single leg option strategies. So at its core, the way we see it here at OptionAlpha is that an option spread is just simply a multi-leg strategy. And more traditionally, option spreads are typically referred to as vertical spreads or credit and debit spreads. That's usually what people are talking about, but it doesn't exclude calendar and diagonal spreads, which you can learn about later. So let's go through some examples of different types of spreads that you can trade. Different types of spreads that you can trade can be broadly classified into the names of different strategies that you might see. So we'll start off with something simple like a credit spread. Credit spreads are great trading strategy because they allow you to take in a net credit when entering into a credit spread. Now, credit spreads are some of my favorite trading strategies, and they're also really great strategies for beginners because they enable you to do option selling strategies, but with defined risk and defined profit and high probabilities of success. That's why we love credit spreads here at Option Alpha. Now, credit spreads can be classified as either bullish credit spreads or bull put spreads, or you can have bearish credit spreads, which are called bear call spreads or call spreads, whatever you want to call them. They're all the same kind of animal, however you diagnose them. But credit spreads are just generally an option strategy where you're buying and selling different contracts. And the end result of the buying and selling activity that you do is that you take in a net credit, which means that you are a net seller of options. You could buy one contract and then sell another contract but whatever you do, whatever combination that you do there, you are taking in a net credit and you are effectively a net option seller. Now, let's contrast this with debit spreads. Debit spreads are another major classification that you could use when talking about spreads. And debit spreads are basically the opposite of credit spreads, where instead of being a net option seller, you're now a net option buyer. You have a debit. You pay money out to enter the strategy versus collecting money as an option seller to enter the strategy. This could be things like bull call debit spreads or bear put debit spreads, where again, you're just trading different option contracts, which we'll get to here in a bit. You're trading different option contracts, but the end result with the debit spread is that you are paying money. You are outlaying money as a net option buyer in order to enter those contracts. Now, this is really important because the difference between credit spreads and debit spreads, not just the fact that one collects money on entry and one pays out money on entry is the profile that you're basically building by being a net seller or by being a net buyer of options. Naturally, that means that those positions are going to behave differently in different market environments depending on what side you're on. So that depends on volatility and time decay and the position of the underlying to the actual strike prices like we talked about a couple episodes ago. So that's why it's so important that you understand even at its very surface level as a beginner, the difference between debit spreads and credit spreads, one being an option buyer, the other being an option seller net, because it has a lot to do with what happens in the position moving forward and your potential outlook in the position when you get into these trades. Now, we're not limited to just debit spreads and credit spreads. Like we talked about earlier in the episode, there's also things called vertical spreads, which is typically what people refer to or really are talking about when they say option spreads. And then there's also horizontal or time spreads. Again, just as a refresher, vertical spreads are a combination of trades that you do where you're selling and buying contracts, typically in the same expiration month, and you're just doing it vertically up and down the option pricing chain. So you might buy a put and then you sell a put at a different strike price, but it's all happening in the same contract month. 
Now you contrast this with horizontal or time or calendar spreads, which are buying and selling contracts in different months. You might buy a put option in one month and then the next month expiration, you sell an option contract or vice versa. You're going to be trading option contracts across time, which is why they call them horizontal spreads. You can think about it as like a horizontal timeline or time spreads or calendar spreads. It's all the same stuff. You're just trading contracts in different expiration months. Now you combine these things together and then you start getting into thing, complex things like diagonal spreads, which are a combination of the vertical element of a vertical spread doing different strike prices across the option chain and combining that with the horizontal time spreads that are present in calendars. Now you get into these diagonals, which for me always made a lot of sense when I started learning it because now I'm doing both things. I'm, you know, moving diagonally across the option chain, not only the strike prices, but also I'm moving diagonally across the time from one expiration period to the next expiration period. At the end of the day, though, I mean, like all this terminology thrown around, especially if you're a beginner, what ultimately is still happening is you're still trading multiple contracts. You're still buying one and selling the other, selling something and buying the other. You're doing multiple contracts here. You're not doing one single contract. And what's really cool about option spreads for this reason is that because you're doing the buying and selling, you can basically express your hypothesis on the market environment a lot of different creative ways. You don't have to be omnidirectional where you're just buying stock or selling stock and just hoping it goes up or down, right? You can express your different opinion or hypothesis about what might happen to volatility or how far it might move or how fast it might move or in a certain time period it moves so far so fast then comes back down. I mean, you can do so many different things with spreads generally, which is why they're so popular for options traders, particularly people who graduate from the basics of calls and puts, they start trading vertical spreads and credit spreads and calendars and iron condors and iron butterflies and stuff like that. Now, because this is such a deep topic, what I want to do at this point is I want to now split the conversation and I want to, hopefully you can give me the permission here to basically talk specifically about credit spreads and really debit spreads because they're the antithesis of the credit spreads, just the opposite position. I want to talk about traditional vertical spreads, credit spreads and debit spreads for the rest of this podcast. So I didn't want to dispute the fact that there are different types of spreads, especially as we're doing a podcast on the beginner's guide to trading option spreads. But these more complex spread strategies like calendars and diagonals, we can save for another podcast at another time. They're a little bit more advanced topics and we really need to narrow down the basics of option spreads, which are traditionally credit spreads and debit spreads. So for the rest of the podcast episode, assume that whenever I say spreads, I'm talking about this more traditional approach, which we'll start to dive into now. So let's first discuss what is a credit spread using an example. I think that using examples is really beneficial because we can use this as a frame of reference that we can keep coming back to over and over and over again. And I like to do this throughout most of my podcast episodes anyway. And I hope you guys all enjoy it. So let's assume that a stock is trading at $100, which I usually do. And we think that the stock might go up in value. So we think that the stock maybe has had a down move or it's oversold or something, right? But it, it, we think it's going to stop, you know, declining, maybe even trade sideways. But generally, we hope that the stock or assume that the stock may go up in value sometime in the next month or month and a half. So if that is our presumption, our assumption of the future of that particular underlying security, we can express a trading strategy that would try to take advantage of that using a credit spread. 
And I talked about in the beginning of the podcast episode, but all a credit spread is, is simply selling and buying option contracts so that the net result ends up being money in. You're taking money in as a net option seller. In this case, if let's say the stock is trading at $100, let's say we sell the 95 strike put option and then we buy the 94 strike put option. That combination of trades that we just entered into is a vertical spread. You can call it an option spread, you can call it a vertical spread, you can call it a credit spread. They're all essentially the same thing that we are basically doing. So with the stock trading at $100, we sell the 95 strike put and we buy the 94 strike put option and we create a 95-94 bullish put credit spread. Kind of threw all the verbiage and all the terminology into that as much as I could. But the end result here is that we're selling one contract, buying another contract so that we collect a net credit. Now, just to use very simple math here so that it all makes sense, I'll use you know potentially maybe exaggerated numbers just because I wanted you to get the concept behind this, not necessarily that this is exactly what you would see in the market for pricing on any security, but hopefully you understand just concept and education that we're trying to get through here. Let's say that the 95 strike put option that you sold because you're selling that option contract first, you collected $3. And you used part of your money, part of your $3, to buy the 94 strike put option that was down below the 95 strike. And let's say that the cost of the 94 strike put option was $2.50. So now you've sold the 95 strike put option for $3, but you used some of that money, $2.50, to buy the 94 strike put option for $2.50. That still leaves you with a net credit, money left over in your hands of 50 cents. Now, this is how traditional credit spreads are built. You sell the contract that's closer to where the stock is trading. You buy contracts further from where the stock is trading. Now, if we wanted to collect more money in upfront premium, well, we can't just magically have that happen in the market. No, there's got to be some sort of trade-off that happens. So if we want to collect more money on our credit spread, let's say we're not satisfied with 50 cents of net premium that we collected, we would need to widen our strike prices or we would need to sell options closer. You can do a combination of these. You can do them one by one. And if you play around with any brokerage platform or you can see this visually, you'll see that the credit that you collect and the risk that you take starts to adjust. So for example, let's say that we wanted to collect more money on this credit spread. Instead, we could sell the 96 strike put option. The 96 strike put option could be sold for, let's say, $3.50. And now we still buy the 94 strike put option, and we still buy that option contract for $2.50. Only now, because we sold the 96 strike put option, we are now collecting a net credit of $1. Now, that's really awesome, right? That's what we wanted. We wanted to collect more money, of course. So all we did was just adjust the strike prices. We sold the 96 strike put option and we bought the 94 that we had previously bought. Now we've collected more money. But of course, we've taken on a lot more risk because now we're selling options that are at 96 versus 95, which means that our short strikes are now $1 closer to where the underlying stock is right now. Remember, the underlying stock is trading at about $100, and now we're selling options at 96 versus 95. So although we're collecting more money, we are taking in proportionally more risk. And this is what you will start to see happen as you start to trade more and more. 
is that you have to do this kind of dance and trade off and figure out what kind of works for you and what works historically back testing as far as ranges and spread widths, et cetera. But let's say that we said, okay, you know what? We don't want to sell. We don't want to collect the additional 50 cents by selling the 96 strike put option. That's maybe a little bit too much. So we're going to go back to selling the 95 strike put option, right? Which we sold for $3. And now let's move out the other leg. So we don't have to move the closest contract. We can move the opposite contract. We can say, all right, let's take the 94 strike put option that we had and let's move that option contract down. So let's buy the 93 strike put option. So now we're still creating the $2 wide spread that we took in originally, like we had with the 96 and 94 position that we were looking at. But now we're not as comfortable trading the option contracts that are at 96. So we move that back to 95 and we're going to move our long leg down to the 93 strike. Now, because things should be relatively proportionate, we are having trading a same widespread, which is around $2, the difference between 95 and 93, right? Which was the same difference between 96 and 94. But this time our strategy makeup is slightly different because we're now selling our short strikes at 95. It's not the same risk reward. The 95-93 spread is a little bit further out of the money compared to the 96-94 spread. So respectively, it should collect a little bit less premium than the 96-94 spread. So if we sold the 95 strike put option for $3, and we had originally bought the 94 strike put option in our first example, we had bought that for $2.50, we might only be able to buy the 93 strike put option for $2.25. So we get a little bit less premium cost for that put option, which now means that our net credit that we're taking in is now not 50 cents, but now 75 cents. So we are taking in more in credit than we had otherwise. And we still have about a $2 width of our strikes, same as what we had before when we sold the 96 and 94 strikes. But now because the options that we're selling and the $2 spread is now effectively starting $1 lower than the 96.94, proportionally it takes in a little bit less in premium. But you'll notice hopefully through this example, and if you need to go back through, just rewind it a couple, you know, do a couple of the 30 second block rewinds on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. But hopefully you're starting to understand the concept here, which is that as you start to adjust and manipulate the different strike prices that you're using, the spread widths, and how far or close you are from expiration, it does proportionally start to adjust the amount of premium that you take in and the risk that you take on those positions. Now, everything would be exactly the same for debit spreads, just in the opposite direction for buying and selling contracts. So if you had a stock that was trading, say, at $100, and you thought that the stock was going to go up in value, you might buy the 105 strike and sell the 106 strike. And that might cost, say, 50 cents as a net debit. Now, if you were an option seller on that end, you get to collect that 50 cents in premium. But as an option buyer, you get to pay that buyer premium because you're buying a contract that's closer to where the stock is trading and then selling a contract that's further from where the stock is trading. Now, same thing works in debit spreads. Again, just proportionally to debit spreads where you're buying options net. If we bought the 105 call option and sold the 106 call option, if that cost 50 cents in premium, 
then we might reason to believe that if we went wider on those strikes, say the 105 to the 107 contract, it might cost us a little bit less in premium. That's because we're accepting more risk that the stock falls inside of a $2 range than inside of that $1 range as, as a hurdle for the stock to get over. So if we bought the 105 and sold the 107 and now made a $2 widespread, it might cost us net 25 cents. If we still wanted to do a $2 widespread and we wanted to potentially profit a little bit sooner, we didn't have as much confidence that the stock would go from 100 to up past our strike prices that maybe we wanted to buy options a little bit closer, we could buy the 104 strike call option and sell the 105 strike call option. That might cost a net debit of, say, 75 cents because now, even though you're trading a dollar wide spread, just like you were a couple examples ago, you're now trading contracts that are closer to where the stock is trading and therefore have a higher likelihood of being in the money. So as an option buyer, you're going to pay that premium. You have to pay for that right, that better probability of success. As an option seller in that example, you get compensated for the additional risk that you're taking because you're closer. So hopefully this makes sense that all of these things are kind of, they're jiving and they're in motion with one another. They're, the trade-offs and the risk rewards are starting to rebalance as you start to adjust your strike prices and start to adjust the width of your strikes and its relationship to where the underlying stock is trading. Now for a traditional option spread like this, we went through this in a couple episodes ago where we calculated break-even points. So you can refer back to that episode as well. We did a deep dive on calculating all these different break-even points and max losses and profits on different spreads. But generally for credit spreads, the maximum profit that you'd be willing to take is just purely the credit that you received. So when you're trading option spreads and you're trying to figure out how much money you can make from a traditional credit spread, the maximum amount of money you can make is the amount of money that you collect as an option seller. This is the, the classic trade-off here with option selling versus option buying is that option selling has a very fixed and defined profit, but hopefully you trade that off for high probability of success. The maximum loss for credit spreads is the width of the spread that you are trading less the premium that you collect. So the premium that you collect is kind of like a credit towards reducing the risk because the width of a spread is your risk. That is the risk as an option spread trader is that the stock goes all the way through all of your strike prices and you basically have to cover the difference between the spread. For example, using our put spread strategy, just because I really want to get this point nailed home. I know a lot of people have questions with this. You have a stock that's trading at $100 and you sell the 95 strike put option, that means that you are telling the other option buyer for that contract that you are guaranteeing them that you will buy stock if they exercise their contract, you will buy stock at $95. Now they're hoping in that instance, if they're the put option buyer for the 95 strike put option, they're hoping that the stock is significantly lower than 95 right? Because they guarantee that you'll buy it at 95. So they don't care if it goes anywhere lower than 95 because you're there as the backstop. Now with your option contract that you go out and purchase now to create your spread, you're saying, hey, look, I don't want to accept all the risk that the stock goes from 95 to zero. That's what you do when you sell a naked put option. You accept all of the risk all the way to zero. But instead what you do and what people do trading options is they offset that risk by using a little bit of the capital that they collected to, 
sell that 95 strike put option, right? We collected $3 from the option buyer to take on their risk. We take some of that money, not all of it, and we go and buy our own protection, essentially. So we go and buy our own protection on that same stock, but just at a slightly lower strike price so that we can try to take advantage of the difference in pricing between those contracts. So if we sell the 95 strike put option and we buy the 95 strike put option for ourselves, right? That's essentially what we're doing in a spread is we're buying protection starting at 94 as the strike. That option contract, again, could cost us $2.50 because it's not that big of a difference in price between 95 and 94. I mean, the stock can move that in a day, an afternoon, a couple of minutes, right? So we're using some of the money that the option buyer paid us for selling the 95 strike put option. And then we're going out and we're buying our own protection at 94. That's going to kick in immediately at 94. So now you can see why the risk in a credit spread is mainly the difference between the strikes. Because we're guaranteeing that we're going to buy stock at 95. And we are also protecting ourselves that somebody else will buy stock from us at 94. So we're only covering that spread difference. The difference between 95 and 94 in this example. As you make that spread wider and you widen out your strike prices, you accept more risk as the trader because there's no guarantee that the stock is going to go to 94 or 93 or 92 or 80 or whatever. So the wider you make your spreads, the more risk you're accepting as an option seller, but the more premium that you'll collect because it's cheaper to cover insurance down at 94 or 93 or 92, right? That there's a lower likelihood that the stock continues to fall at progressively lower prices. Now, by the way, and this is just a little bit of a total sidebar, but this concept makes so much sense and you have to understand it because in its most commercial intent, you get insurance companies that also do this. Insurance companies, they will insure your property, say for like a hurricane, right? If you're in an area that has hurricanes. That insurance company will insure your property so that if a hurricane comes and annihilates your property, they can pay you the value to rebuild your house. Now, if the insurance company doesn't do anything else but enter that one contract with you, then they accept all of the risk that your house value goes from wherever it is now to zero. Let's say your house is worth $100,000 and you have an insurance contract that if a hurricane comes and the house completely gets annihilated, the insurance company pays you $100,000, right? That's what you're doing as as a homeowner. You're paying them a premium to protect you in case the worst event imaginable happens. Now, if that insurance company doesn't do anything else, they're accepting all of that risk because if a hurricane comes and your house gets knocked down, they got to pay the whole $100,000. Now, do you really think that insurance companies accept this full risk? Absolutely not. They don't. They also go out and buy their own commercial insurance that helps protect against those catastrophic events. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but insurance companies, they go out and they buy for themselves something called reinsurance, which reinsurance protects the insurance company in case there's excessive catastrophic losses because of high exposure like this. So literally, the most profitable, most successful companies in the entire world are trading spreads. If that doesn't tell you something about trading option spreads and why they should be an important component 
of your trading strategy, I don't know what else will. Arguably the best investor of all time, Buffett and all of his insurance companies, they have reinsurance. They insure all these people through their insurance subsidiaries, but those insurance companies go out and they buy reinsurance, which is basically like covering themselves for those spread types of scenarios. So in our example, if you have a house that's worth $100,000, the insurance company might give you that contract that says, yes, I will buy your, you know, replace your house for $100,000 if a hurricane hits. But then what they're going to do is they're going to go out and they're going to buy reinsurance that covers them in case the house does go through a catastrophic event that covers them maybe up to $80,000 of premium. So if a hurricane comes, the insurance company gets paid from their reinsurance company. I know it's crazy, but it is. The reinsurance company pays the insurance company $80,000. So they don't take the whole risk themselves. And then they go and they pay you the rest. They only took the difference between the two different strike prices. No different than what you do when you're selling credit spreads. You are just accepting as an option seller the risk between those two different strike prices. So just kind of wrap things up and kind of bring us back full circle. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that, but bring us back full circle. Option spreads, particularly credit spreads, the max profit is the amount of credit that you collected. There's no additional money that you can make. Back to our insurance company analogy real quick. When you pay your insurance premiums and the insurance, like the property never falls down, no hurricane comes for that year, does the insurance company get to make more money? No. They collected their premium. That's the money they got to work with. Same thing as an option seller. You collect premium. That's the money you got to work with. Now, your option spread, max loss for a credit spread is the difference between the strikes less the credit that you already took in. Because again, you're not entering these contracts with no money exchanging. You're entering these contracts exchanging money. So if in our example where we sold the 95 and bought the 94 strike put option, that's a $1 wide spread, but we collected 50 cents in net premium. Well, yes, our real notional risk is the 95 to 94. That's the difference that we would have to pay out. But we already collected 50 cents in premium. So our net risk after we factor in what we're already paid is only just 50 cents in that example. So when you're looking at option spreads, particularly credit spreads, your max risk is the width of the spread less the credit that you already collected. If you sell a $5 wide credit spread and you take in a dollar of credit, your risk, your net risk is $4. If you sell a $15 wide spread and you take in a dollar of credit, your net risk is $14. That's it. Very simple. Doesn't matter if it's calls or puts, width of the spread, less the credit received, that's your max loss. By the way, that's what you should be basing all of your position sizing on, is assuming that you do get to max loss, which is always the most appropriate, best risk adverse way that you can trade. Okay, so hopefully we've kind of nailed a lot of things down here for trading spreads. I know we kind of went a little fast and off on some tangents a little bit, but I think it was really helpful to understand why spreads exist and how they even exist in regular markets like the insurance market, like we already talked about. Now let's talk about break-even prices. Again, we did a deep dive on this a couple podcasts ago, but just as a refresher, break-even prices are the price at which you would need to have the security move to in order to break even on your trade. In the case of credit spreads, your break-even price is calculated by taking the short strike which is the contract that you sold, typically the contract that's closest to where the stock is trading, and adding or subtracting 
the net credit that you took in. Now I say adding or subtracting because it does depend on if you sold a put spread like we've been using in our example or if you sold a call spread. If you sold a put spread, so a put credit spread or a bull put spread, you would take the short strike and you would subtract the premium that you collected. This basically gives you your break-even price. The stock can move down to that break-even price and that's where you start to make or lose money. So in our main example that we've used throughout the podcast here, if you sold the 95 strike put and bought the 94 strike put, you would base your break-even calculation on the 95 strike put because that is the short strike that's closest to where the stock is trading. Now we're going to subtract the premium that we collected, which was 50 cents in our example. That means that our break-even price is 94.50. The stock currently trading at $100 can trade all the way down to 94.50. And at that point, that's our zero barrier. That's our break-even price. Anything above 94.50, we make money. Anything below that, we start to lose money. That's why credit spreads, I love them personally, because that gives you that buffer. Where the stock is trading at $100 and we think that the stock could go up in value, but we're not, we don't know. We don't know for sure, right? We're certainly not naive enough to think that we expect to know where the markets are going to go at all the time. So we give ourselves a buffer, a high probability trade where we just want the stock, frankly, to stay anywhere above our break-even price of 94 and a half. That means we could be completely wrong in our assumption. The stock could continue going down, could trade from 100 to 98 to 96 could trade down to 95. It just can't trade below 94 and a half. And after that point, then we start losing money on the position. And that's okay. That might be acceptable risk. That's a high probability trade that we might be willing to get into. If you look at things from the flip side where you're selling call spreads, where you're selling a call option and buying a call option at a higher strike, you would just simply do the opposite calculation. You would take your short strike and you would add the net credit that you collected. Basically, you're just moving out from the short strike by the amount of the premium that you collect. So in our example, if we sold the 105 and bought the 106 call option, so we now have a short call spread, a bear call spread, whatever you want to call it, we would take the 105 strike because that's our short strike that's closest to where the stock is trading, and we would add the net credit that we collected. If we collected a net credit of 50 cents, we take 105 plus 50, that gets us to 105.50. The stock can trade anywhere up to 105.50. That's our break-even point, but it starts trading above 105.50. Now we start losing money. Again, as an option seller, I love this because that means I can be wrong. I think that a stock maybe has had a huge run-up and there's no way it could possibly go higher, right? But I know I don't know exactly what the stock is going to do or not. So I give myself a buffer, a margin of error. The stock's run up from, say, $80 to $100, but that doesn't mean it's going to stop. But I still can trade option contracts that give me a a margin of error, high probability of success, and still collect some premium, which is what we try to do. All right, so hopefully we've kind of really beaten a dead horse here on just understanding break-evens, max loss, max profit, vertical spreads, all that stuff, right? What I want to talk about now for the back half of this episode is really just diving deep and just talking a little bit about option spreads, particularly credit spreads and debit spreads and the benefits and drawbacks of trading these in your account. Things like how you should trade them, how you should set them up, or at least things you should consider. Now, of course, none of this is exactly how you should do it. You should do it however you want to do it and however fits your risk profile best, right? What type of trader you are, your goals, your objectives, all that. But what I want to do here for newbies and beginners is just give you a sense of things that you should be considering or thinking about as you start to entertain the idea of trading option spreads. Now, again, we're going to focus our conversation here 
to credit spreads and debit spreads, which again are the exact same setup, just in reverse, depending on what side of the contracts you're on. You're either the buyer or the seller. An option spread is going to be the exact same risk profile, just flipped for the option buyer. It's all the same stuff, just flipped profiles. So here's the deal. When it comes to choosing strike prices, which arguably is the number one thing that people have questions on. We get it all the time here at Option Alpha, like how do I choose my strike prices for credit spreads? How do I choose my strike prices for debit spreads? What I think is most important about choosing strike prices, because you could choose any strike price you want, which is the real answer. It depends. It depends on a million different things. But the most thing, most important thing that you should consider when choosing your strike price is how far that strike price is from the underlying security. Because if you understand the relationship that strike prices have price-wise and risk-wise to their location to the underlying security, then a lot of things start to make sense. So for example, if a stock is trading at $100, if I am going to buy a call option with a strike price of $101, that option contract is significantly more valuable than an option contract with a strike price of $150, right? Because if I'm buying a call option, then I profit if the stock goes beyond my strike price. So naturally, all things considered being equal, right? If I buy a contract call option with a strike price of 101, when the stock is trading at 100, literally $1 above where the stock is trading, that contract should be significantly more valuable than the option contract that has a strike price of 150. Because the likelihood, and this is where it all kind of comes back around, the likelihood that the stock moves above 101 is significantly higher than the likelihood the stock moves above 150. So if you understand just that key component that the strike price and its relationship to where the stock is trading and how far it is and the likelihood that the stock moves into that range really tells you a lot about what strike prices might be best for you, I think a lot of things fall into place. So for example, if you're trading credit spreads, you typically want to sell credit spreads and trade them out of the money. That doesn't mean you're selling them at 150 maybe, but maybe you're selling credit spreads $10, $20, $30 out of the money depending on the underlying security. There's that. There's definitely this like Goldilocks and the Three Bears type of analogy here where you want to be risky, right? You want to sell something that has some premium, but you don't want to be too risk adverse that you're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller is the old classic analogy. And you definitely don't want to be so, so you know risky that you're selling things right at the money where you're not really taking in a high probability of success. So you're selling things out of the money, but not too far out of the money. That's why I say it really just depends. But that's something I think about is that when you're trading spreads, and particularly when you're selling options and trying to take in a credit as a credit spread trader, you want to understand the relationship that the price of those spreads has to where those strikes are and where the underlying security is. As you sell options further out the option chain, so further up and down the strike prices, the value of those contracts goes down and down and down. The most valuable option contracts are the ones that are at the money, the ones that are right there where the stock is trading. Because that's known that the stock now can go on either side of those contracts. So it makes sense that as you go further out the option strike prices, either up or down where the stock is trading right now, 
If the stock's trading at $100, the further you go up above $100 or the further you go down below $100, the less valuable those contracts are because they have a lower likelihood of being hit. Therefore, they're less valuable. So there is this give and take where you want to go far enough out that you have a high probability of success, you're collecting enough premium, but not too far out that you're not collecting any premium with a really, really high probability of success, which looks good, but you're not being compensated at all, or you're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. And you contrast this with going even too close where you're collecting a lot of premium, but you have a really low likelihood of success, and which really is just another way of saying there's a high likelihood that you don't keep that premium. So the key thing to remember here, and I think this is actually just a key component that I personally don't hear a lot of people talk about, but there's the probability of success on a position, which you could almost rephrase to some degree as saying like the probability that you keep this premium. So I see a lot of new traders, especially with spreads, where they will come in closer to where the stock is trading because they don't understand probabilities or this dynamic. And so they come in closer to where the stock is trading. They sell a spread and they collect a lot of premium. And it feels really good to collect all that premium right up front. You feel like you're making a big difference. But the probability of keeping all that premium is really, really high. In fact, the likelihood you'll probably give some of it back and then some is probably even higher. So that's something that you have to think about as a trader is what's the probability I keep this premium? What, what's the, really the probability that it stays here with me? And that's something you should consider as a trader as well. When it comes to choosing expirations. So that's the the next thing here. So we've talked about strike prices. Again, super dynamic. Same thing with expirations generally. But the key here that I could hopefully point you in the right direction on is that, again, like we saw with strike prices where the value of the contract changes dramatically based on where the strike price is relative to the underlying. Now with expirations, the further you go in time, the longer you have for the strategy to work out, the more valuable those contracts are. I mean, generally all things being considered. So option contracts that expire tomorrow are less valuable than option contracts broadly that expire in a month. And that's because option contracts that expire tomorrow have no time left. The every All the moves that you needed to make have to be done tomorrow because the contract will cease to exist at the end of tomorrow. Whereas option contracts that expire, say, next month, you have lots of time. So not that you can kick back and kind of sit around and the stock doesn't really have to move, but you have more time for that to play out. So when you're thinking about your positions as an options trader, and you're thinking about the expiration, like how far out do I sell these contracts? How far do I go? Whether you're a seller or buyer, you have to factor in the time component. The further out you go in time, the more that you have a likelihood it could swing to where you want it to swing to. That means that generally option contracts are more expensive. It means that option sellers get compensated more because they have to cover more time and risk. And that means that option buyers have to pay more because they're paying for more time for something potentially valuable and profitable to happen. You can think about it like the insurance analogy that we talked about throughout this episode, where if I'm an insurance company and I'm selling insurance to you to cover your house for a hurricane, it is way cheaper for me to sell insurance to you. Like it wouldn't cost you a lot of money if I were to sell you insurance just that lasts the next week, like the only time that you could have coverage on this house is the next seven days. Now, the likelihood of a major event happening in those seven days might be really, really low. So the premium that it costs to cover seven days is almost nothing, right? Very cheap for you as the insurance, as the, the buyer of the insurance, right? The option buyer, 
very cheap for me as the seller, right? Potentially high probability, right? Because what's going to happen in seven days? Maybe not. But if I try to cover you for, say, three years, well, that's a totally different ballgame, right? If our contract, our insurance contract doesn't expire for three years, I mean, it's going to cost you a lot more money as an option buyer to buy insurance that covers your house for three years. And I, respectively, as an option seller selling you that insurance would want to be compensated more because I got to cover you now for three years and I can't make any more money on that position. So that's why contracts are more valuable the further you go in time, right? So you have to factor that in as well. Again, there is a little bit of give and take here, just like everything, right? Where there's this Goldilocks and the three bears, you go too far out with option contracts and they don't move a lot, right? So that's what we see all the time where some people come in and they say, I sold option contracts 120 days out and the stock made a move exactly like I thought it was going to make. But my contracts, they didn't move. Like they didn't move in price. I thought I was going to make this big windfall. Well, that's because contracts that are further out, they're more muted to current market movements because something that happens today doesn't really impact a contract that's 120 days out. I mean, a lot can happen in 120 days. So market movements are more muted and less responsive to the underlying contract when they're further out. Now, if your contract expired tomorrow and there was a big move today, well, of course, that contract is going to be more responsive to underlying movements because it's really close to expiration. So sell contracts too far out and you don't get the movement that you wanted in the underlying contract where you might be right in your assumptions, you might be right in your hypothesis or prediction of the underlying security, but the actual contracts themselves don't really move all too much. Sell contracts too close and you run out of time. The the contracts don't move fast enough or the move happens late or you run the risk of a move happening late when you think you have a big profit. So now you get generally what's referred to as like this gamma risk where the contracts are moving very fast for very little movements in the underlying security. That typically happens, all things considered, a little bit closer to expiration. So that's the consideration of expiration. So you have your expiration, you have your strike prices. Now, the last thing you have to really consider as an options trader when you're trading spreads is the width of your spreads. Most people should, especially beginners, trade the most narrow spread you can possibly trade typically a $1 wide spread. And the reason I always suggest people do this is because it does help you control risk and reward. It does help you learn the dynamics. It helps you see the process happen multiple months in a row. So you get familiar and comfortable with things, right? It's like the reason why when you start driving, you don't jump into a Formula One car and take it down the highway, right? You drive a car that is like where you are in your journey as a driver. That's why when you're riding a bike, you start with training wheels, right? So that you can kind of get a feel for things. And then you take those off and then you go faster and faster if you want to. So for me, I would highly suggest if you're a newbie trader, even if you've been around for a little bit and you're now starting to trade options more, trade $1 wide spreads and get a feel for $1 wide spreads and how those are going to move in your portfolio. Then you can start to graduate towards wider spreads. Now, the thing you should remember about spreads, like we kind of really beat a dead horse over earlier, was that the wider you make the spreads, so the the bigger the difference between your strike prices as an option seller or option buyer, the more risk you're accepting. That's really what it is. And so if I'm selling a credit spread and I make my spread with $5 wide 
versus a dollar wide, I'm accepting more risk and I will be compensated for that risk as an option seller. I'll collect more premium like we discussed in our examples. But there is the point at which you go too wide and you're not collecting anything extra for going really wide. So we've seen before, and you should do this on option pricing tables, just look it up yourself, but there's a point of diminishing returns for going really wide on your spreads. Some people say go as wide as possible. Well, is really as wide as possible? Because sometimes for the S&P, for example, you could go 50 strikes wide. But like, do you get more money going 49 versus 50 strikes? Is it a demonstrable difference? There's a point at which the option contracts are all about the same price when you go far enough out on the strike price vertically up and down the, the pricing chain that it makes no difference. It makes no difference pricing wise or how much money you collect if you're $50 wide or 52 or 55 or $60 wide because all the option contracts out there are all worth about the same amount of money. So there is diminishing returns the wider and wider and wider you go. There's no like saying that says like the widest thing possible, that's the best thing. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that. Likewise, it doesn't work to go to the most narrow set of contracts and then just trade more contracts. So one fallacy I think that I see people do in trading spreads is that they, and this calculation happens fast. This is what people do. And I know you guys are traders. Most people who are traders are engineers, math, finance, all, you know, you guys understand numbers. What happens is, is they trade a spread, like a really narrow spread, like $2 wide or $3 wide or even a dollar wide. And then they calculate their premium as a percentage of the width of the spreads and their risk, basically like their return on capital. And they look and they say, wow, like my return on capital, how much money I'm taking in versus the width of the spread is 30%, whatever it is. So they look at that and they're like, wow, I'm taking a 30% return on capital. I should sell more contracts. I should do more spreads because I'm doing a $1 wide spread, right? That's not that risky. It's a narrow spread. Kirk said do narrow spreads because they're less risky, right? But I'll just do more contracts. And they do more and more contracts because they're trying to increase the amount of premium aggregately that they collect. So if they sell one spread, they might collect $50 in premium. So they think, hey, I'll just sell 10 spreads, right? Then I'll collect $500 in premium, essentially same risk. Eh, wrong. Not true. Okay. <laughs> Not true. You might have the same probability of success, right? Same break-even point for the stock your risk is completely different in that scenario. Not only because you've done more contracts, but now you take it to another degree, which I don't know if we have time to like fully deep dive on this podcast, but I want to make sure I cover it here. But you take into account the risk of carrying and unwinding the position if one of the contracts was assigned or exercised, you have significantly more risk than you think. So when it comes to strike widths, generally what we prefer is we prefer to widen your strikes versus going with more contracts if you have to choose. Now, some people, because they have lots of money and lots of big account sizes, they can do both. They can go wider and more contracts. Great. Go wider first. Go from a $2 wide spread to a $5 wide spread, but only sell one of each still, right? That's one way you can start to increase the level of exposure and your return and you know start to allocate more capital. But don't just assume as a new trader that because you're doing a $1 wide spread or some narrow spread, that you can just naturally sell more contracts and that's better for you. That's not the right way to think about it because of the second order, third order effects of that. Lots of good stuff here. Hopefully this is all making sense. Here's a couple other ones I want to hit on, not necessarily 
benefits, drawbacks, whatever, just talking points I want to cover here for spreads. Number one, fixed profiles. So the coolest thing about doing credit spreads and debit spreads, depending on how you trade and what you're into, is that it has a fixed profile. I think this is so important for new traders. So this is so important because it gives you an opportunity, even before you get into positions, to know exactly where you're going to stand on it when the market shakes itself out. You know exactly what your strikes are. You know exactly what your expiration is. You know exactly where the stock is trading at this point. You know exactly how much premium you're taking in, right? How much you can make. You know exactly how much risk you're taking, how much you could lose in the worst case scenario. I mean, I don't know what other better setup there is for investing generally than doing that because everything is known on the beginning of the trade. You know your probability of success. You know where implied volatility is. You know where the stock is. You know what your risk is. You know what your reward is. You know what your expiration date is. Like, you know when all this ends and the music stops and you got to evaluate. Like, you know all that. As a trader, having a fixed profile like that is so helpful for newbie traders. Even for, I love trading them still. Still trade credit spreads all the time because of that fixed profile. The second thing I'll talk about here, and I mentioned it earlier just a little bit, but credit spreads can move slow. Debit spreads can move slow. Depending on how far you are from expiration and where your strikes are, don't assume that because you're trading a spread, things will move really fast. When you're trading more narrow spreads, by the way, when you're trading more narrow spreads, then things are going to move even slower because one a benefit to one contract is going to be directly offset by the other contract. And the more close those contracts are together, the more that those benefits of to one are offset by the other one. So let's say again, in our example, we had the stock trading at $100, we sold the 95 and bought the 94. Well, if the stock goes up, that benefits the 94 strike that we sold. But it's a little bit of a downer to the 94 put option that we bought because now that put option is worth less. So one option contract goes up in value, the other one goes down in value. And that difference is a lot closer because the contracts are closer together. So what you typically see with more narrow spreads is things behave slower. That doesn't mean that they behave like differently so you shouldn't trade them. It just means that sometimes they behave slower, that they're, the offsets between the different contracts are more closely aligned. Just as something to like think about as you start trading. As you go wider with spreads, right? You go wider with your contracts that you're trading, then those differences are a little bit more magnified because they're offset by the different strike prices. So the return that I would have if the stock goes up when I'm trading the 95.94 versus the 95.90 put spread could be wildly different for the same underlying stock move because of the contracts that I'm trading. They're wider, it's different, it's a different makeup. So just keep that in mind that things could move slower or faster depending on how you structure your option spread trades. Last thing I'll talk about is complex management. Because you are trading a spread, that does mean that it's a little bit more complex, it's not so easy peasy to manage these positions. Then you can also get yourself into things like legging into or legging out of contracts, making adjustments, rolling contracts, all secondary things that we can talk about in other podcasts. But it's important to understand here as a newbie trader that it's not so black and white easy like buying stock and selling stock is. And that's okay. I mean, frankly, you should be compensated more for doing a more advanced strategy generally. So in this case, for option spreads, you just have to remember that because you enter two contracts, you also need to exit two contracts, however that works out. Sometimes that means you can 
exit one and leg out of it. That's what they call legging because you're almost like putting on leg, like you take one leg out and then take the other leg out or vice versa. You could do that. You could also roll contracts, adjust contracts, move one leg, adjust it to another leg. There's a lot more flexibility that you have. It does mean a little bit more complexity, but you shouldn't shy away from it. You shouldn't shy away from it. You should just be aware of it. It's situational awareness to understand that spreads create a multi-leg strategy and multi-leg strategies have to be entered into, right? With multiple legs, need to be exited with multiple legs or need to be managed a little bit differently. Okay, so I think we really dove into a lot of stuff here today. Hopefully all this stuff helped out. If you have any questions at all, please let us know, reach out to us and hit us up at Team at Option Alpha, post on social media, anywhere you can access us. We'd love to help answer questions you have about trading spreads, what spreads are, how they're different, how you can use them. All that stuff will help point you in the right direction. As always, we put a bunch of stuff in today's show notes, so please head on over to optionalpha.com slash show 224. Again, that's just the number 224, optionalpha.com slash show 224. We'll give you all those links to all those resources, all of our guides, all of the different bot templates and training and everything that you need to know for trading spreads in one single place. Also, if you really enjoyed today's episode, as we talked about last week and the week before, basically every time we do this podcast, the best way that you can help support what we do here at Option Alpha and continue our mission moving forward is to just give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast right here today at Option Alpha. That gives that podcast a chance to get reached into the hands of other people who are like you. They're looking for information and education and training and content on options trading. So if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please take a moment right now, give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option Alpha. But again, before you go, please, let's keep the conversation going. And remember to sign up for our upcoming live bot workshop. That's right. This week, we have an awesome workshop coming up where we're going to be walking through easily adding trade management with switches. It's a really cool workshop that we're going to be doing where we're going to be discussing how to use switches that you can simply turn off and turn on inside of your automations to give you hyper control and flexibility over your automated strategies. One strategy you wanna turn on profit taking and another strategy you wanna turn off stop losses, you can do that super, super easily right inside the Option Alpha platform. We're gonna do a deep dive on that this week in the bot workshop. So make sure you sign up, head on over to optionalpha.com slash workshops or be on the lookout for that email if you're already signed up for our newsletter and our email list. You won't wanna miss it, it's gonna be super awesome workshop that we're going to be doing live this week. As always, truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently place smarter trades. Until next time, happy trading.